I'll never forget that day. It was, it was a day unlike any that I experienced and one that I had never really wanted to happen. And Joseph had asked me to bring the myrrh. And so I met Joseph and as we began the preparation of his lifeless body, I couldn't help but think back to the first time we ever spoke. I had worked hard in my life to kind of rise from an insignificant town and an insignificant place to a place of being able to be heard and listened to and help people with decisions and to have some power in my local group. But the more I was a part of this group, the more I got to know the guys that were around me, the less confident I became that they really were seeking after God. And about the time my doubts really started to come to the surface, I heard about this new teacher. This man that had come on the scene and was new and different. Somebody that was completely different than we had heard before. In fact, reports started to get back to me that he teaches like nobody's ever taught. And so I decided that I would set up a meeting. Because from where I came from, that's what you did. When you wanted to find out information or you were trying to, to, to see if this was the right place to go, you, you set up a meeting. And so I set up a meeting and I said, I'd love to come talk to you about exactly who you are and what you're teaching. I've got some questions about where I am and I've got some questions about what you're doing. And I'd love to have a discussion with you. <laughs> the news came back and said, Anytime you want to meet, I'll make time. Well, as I said, I had kind of worked my way up into my position. And going to meet this guy was going to greatly jeopardize what I had done, what I would worked for, where I would come from. And so I sent back a message and just said, if you would meet me at night, it would be very helpful. And so the meeting was set up and I went to him and we, we met in a secret location where I knew none of the guys that would, uh, would look down upon me or would make my influence go down would know where we were. And I, I asked him and, and from all I could tell, he, he kept his promise that he would keep it quiet on his end as well. And we sat down and we began to talk. I came with the questions, but before long I was the one being questioned. The rumors about the way that he taught were true. He taught like nobody I had ever heard before. There was a power. There was an authority. There was a, something deep in what he was saying, even though he was saying some of the most simple things. My life had been about the rules and the regulations, about how to be a good person, how to live like we're supposed to live. My life had been all about doing this and not doing that. And yet in this one conversation with this man at night, I suddenly began to understand that he was teaching something completely different. In fact, I'll never forget the question that he asked me. Or the statement that he made that, that led to multiple questions on both parts. He looked at me and he said, No one can be a part of the kingdom of God unless they're born again. 
I thought, I, I must have misunderstood that. Jesus, how in the world can somebody be born again? In fact, the question that I asked him was, there's no way that once a mother has given birth, a child can re-enter the mother's womb and be born again. And Jesus said, that that's not what I'm talking about. He says, I'm not talking about a physical rebirth. What I'm talking about is being born from above. And the way he said that made me realize that what he was saying was completely different than anything I'd ever heard. I left there that night and not completely convinced, decided that I would begin from afar again to hear of Jesus and to listen to His teaching. I was able to keep a low profile about everything going on until there came a time when some of the guys in the group I was a part of were trying to arrest Him. You see, what Jesus was teaching really upset them. They were very religious people and they did not like the way Jesus was telling people to seek a relationship with the Father directly, not just follow all the rules. I'm a little ashamed to say it now, but I was really trying to keep my allegiance in both places at the same time. I was trying to be part of this group, this ruling group of Jewish religious leaders. And at the same time, I felt this pull, this attraction to go towards this man and what he was teaching. At times, I wanted to abandon everything I had done and to follow Jesus. But that just seemed like too big of a risk. To give up job security and financial security and prestige and honor. To give all that up seemed like too far to go. And so I walked right down the middle on top of the fence. (laughs) When it was convenient, I would let people know that, yeah, I've listened to Jesus. I've heard what He said. But when it was inconvenient and it might get me in trouble, I just kept quiet. All that came to a head one day when apparently a party had been sent out to arrest him. And when they came back, they said, we couldn't arrest him. And they said, well, why didn't you arrest him? And basically the guy said, because we believed him. And I thought, this is my opportunity. And so while everybody was around and they were deliberating, and what's the next step? I said, just kind of casually, I didn't identify that I knew him or that I'd followed him. I just said, well, why would we arrest someone if they've done nothing wrong? Well, that was the end of my upward climb. As soon as I asked that question, one of the guys sitting around go, Hey, 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 aren't you from Galilee? Now, I know that doesn't seem like an insult to you, but that was an insult to me. I grew up in Galilee, that's where I was from, but everyone assumed that nothing good could come from there. Nothing. In fact, the guy said, has there ever been a prophet from Galilee? Kind of like, has anything ever good, has there ever been anybody important from Galilee? Aren't you just one of those backwoods kind of guys? Don't you just need to get back in your place and not worry about these important matters? That shouldn't have been the thing that turned me towards following Jesus completely. But it was. So when... The Pharisees and the Sanhedrin and the Sadducees finally got what they wanted and Jesus was crucified. My friend Joseph said that he had a tomb. 
He was going to let Jesus be buried there. And He asked me if I was willing to be bold in following Him. You know, it really didn't seem like there was any point to it at the moment. Jesus had died. It was over. Jesus had lost. There was no reason to even show allegiance to Him anymore. But there were time and time again when Jesus continually taught where He stood by me even when I was unwavering in my commitment to Him. And I thought, as one final act of commitment, I'll help. So when Joseph called, I brought the myrrh. We used myrrh back then to prepare bodies, and Joseph and I and others worked a little bit to get the body as prepared as we could. We were really racing against the clock because Sabbath started on sundown. And it wasn't just any Sabbath, it was Passover Sabbath, and so no work could happen from sundown on that Friday till Sunday morning at sunrise. And so we were doing everything we could to get Him prepared and to get Him in the tomb before sundown. In fact, we... We knew that we would have to come back. There would have to be more done on that next Sunday morning. But we were just trying to get done what we could on that Friday night. And I'll never forget, as we laid His body in that tomb, and as I wept with tears over His lifeless body, walking out of that stone entrance, and Joseph and I, looking back, And without a word, with just a glance, communicating to one another, isn't it amazing what could have been? If only started flowing in my mind. If only I had spoken out sooner. If only people would have listened. If only some of the leaders hadn't been so committed to their way that they weren't prepared for God to do something different. If only... But as I walked out of the tomb that day, and they rolled the stone back into its place, I couldn't help but think that my hopes and my dreams and what I'd come to believe to be the truth was wrapped lifelessly behind a stone in a cave. It was the first Passover that I didn't really know where to go. All my friends now knew I was a follower of Jesus and they didn't want me. It was hard for me to show my face around His closest friends because I hadn't stood up when I should have. (laughs) How do you explain the trials that He went through? Joseph and I found a spot and some people to share the Passover with. Most of the time when we celebrated Passover, it was the most joyous celebration of the year. We would have the lamb and as we would sit there someone would shout this lamb is taking away our sins he has died to give us freedom 
We remind ourselves of the story of being in captivity of our forefathers and how that He had escaped and that God had provided the way for all of that to happen. It was a joyous occasion. But sitting there with Joseph and others, it just felt hollow, unimportant, pointless. The bitter herbs that we ate never tasted more bitter. The food that we ate never tasted more bland. As dawn began to break on that Sunday morning, it seemed like for the first time, even the night before, that my mind began to finally think, well, what would the future hold? What would it mean? About that time, we heard some commotion, some, some chatter. Somebody came to where we were meeting and heard what we had done and wanted to let us know that there were rumors that somebody had done something to the tomb, that it wasn't quite right, and that we were expected to come and to meet with the other disciples for a little bit and to go and to find this place. And, and we just we didn't understand what was going on. We didn't understand what was going on. But we just began to hear these things. And there was this... There was this spark of hope inside of me. You know, he did teach some things that were pretty remarkable. He did say some things about rebuilding after the three days, on the third day. and Just some things began to, to tingle in there. I wouldn't understand until later what was really happening, but I began to hear the news. And I will never forget the moment. The man that I had first met at night and tried to defend in the religious courts. The man whose lifeless body I had helped prepare and wrap stood before me alive again. I don't know if you've ever had A moment in your life when it seemed like all hope was gone. And the next moment, it was restored. But that was me. When I look back on my journey with Jesus... can't help but think about how foolish it really was to ever think that I could follow Him a little bit. That I could somehow play both sides. That I could somehow have a little bit of commitment to Him and a little bit of commitment somewhere else. You know, when He rose from the dead, He taught us for several days and encouraged us. And from that moment forward, it was as clear as it could possibly be that the only choice that we have when it comes to being a follower of Jesus is to be a complete follower of Jesus. There's no middle ground There's no half-hearted commitment. There's no keeping one foot in our society and profession 
and career and one foot on the path to following Him. So this morning, I guess the question that I have for you from my story is simply this. Are you a passionately devoted, complete follower of the risen Savior? Are you still trying to ride the fence? You see, because the one question that you have to answer in light of the fact that Jesus is alive is what are you going to do with Him? And there is no way that any answer other than complete and total commitment is acceptable.